just be among us. And Lord, I, I do thank you. You are the one who invites us into places of transformation. And not only did you model that, but you call us into it. You invite us into that. There's not a one of us here that doesn't have some area in our life where we really do need your touch. We might have been following you for a long, long time. We need refreshing, new beginning. Others of us, we've just started this journey and we need to have courage to stay with things even when things don't go the way we're hoping, not to just, not to just have a kind of faith that is so fragile that it can't endure difficulty. Others of us we may not even be there yet, but we're right on the verge. Our hearts are open. And wherever we are, I pray that you would speak to us. Help us to drop our guards. Be open as best as we can. This is what I ask. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, God. So, in the Bible, there's a remarkable incident. Actually, nothing quite like it in all the scripture. Theologians call it the transfiguration of Christ. Um, the moment that it occurs is recorded in three of the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke record it. And it's an amazing moment um, where Jesus is described as, you know, literally being transformed in his appearance. The one who would transform death into life, he himself has a kind of transformation that we're going to read about for a moment. And it's fascinating to consider it. We're going to explore it for the next couple of weeks. But I want to just read it. Um, we, we're going to see how the Bible describes it how Jesus' countenance and appearance, we might even say his atomic makeup in some way, was, was shifted, changed in, under, in front of the mesmerized eyes of three of his disciples, James, John, and Peter. Uh, in Matthew 17, it says this, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured, changed, metamorphosized, is what the word is, before them. And it, it's to such a degree that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Now, we're going to talk about that, but notice the opening of that first verse says, after six days. Six days from what? It begs us to walk back. If you were to go back, it's actually connecting us back to an incident that has tremendous implications for what we just read. The incident that is referring back to is something that occurred in an earlier chapter, six days earlier. It had to do with a, an intense conversation that Jesus had with Peter. And I wanted us to be able to look at that conversation together because it illuminates what we just read about happening in terms of what we describe as the transfiguration. So what happened six days earlier was an exchange that occurred between Peter and Jesus. Let's look at this. This is in Matthew 16, verses 15 20 through 25. It says this, he said to them, so Jesus starts the conversation out. He says, and actually was part of a little bit of a longer conversation, but he says, who, who do you say that I am? What is your opinion of me? A lot of people have a lot of opinions about Jesus. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you think that I am? You've been with me. You've watched me. You've listened to my words. There's a lot of controversy. A lot of things are being said. What do you say? And what would have to be one of Simon Peter's finest moments, because the same thing that got him in trouble periodically caused him to stumble into magnificence. And this was one of those moments where he was the first to speak. And what he said literally lifted, lifted the heart of Jesus because what he said is this, I believe, I know. I know who you are. You are the Christ, the promised one, Messiah. You are the son of the living God. That's what Peter says. And Jesus 
he gets excited. He, he answered him and he said, Blessed are you, Simon Peter. Simon, son of John. Simon Barjonas. Blessed are you. Look what he says. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This is not just something that you said because of, out of human intelligence. I'm telling you what you just confessed is something that God inspired you to say. And I will tell you even more than this. I will say to you, look at this, that you are Peter. You are Peter. And, and on this rock, this rock of understanding, this revelation of who I am, this confession of who I am, I will build my church and even the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. On the basis of this message, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And this will allow you to open up things. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It was a moment of magnificent approval on the part of Jesus. I mean, Jesus commends Peter in front of everybody. And Peter must have been feeling like at the top of the world. To have the person whose opinion mattered most to you openly affirm you in front of all of your peers at such a high level to say, this is a, God's words flowing out of your mouth right now. Peter, it is amazing what you have just said. You have said so much more, maybe, than you even know. And every, but then, while Peter's on the crest, Jesus added something, which he has a habit of doing that. He added something that would trouble and disturb them all. Because if we go down and we read kind of what happens next, while they're all celebrating the implications of Jesus not only acknowledging Peter's confession of Messiah, but in the back of their minds, by Jesus saying, indeed, that is who I am, it opens up all kinds of doors. They are now part of something that is so big, so magnificent. When Jesus reveals himself, they're part of his team. They are the key members of his team. There's a lot going on there. But then Jesus did something. And he did something that while Peter was at the point of euphoria, it really rocked him. Look what it says in verse 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And here it is. And be killed. Then also he said he would rise on the third day. But whatever, the, whatever that meant, Peter seemed to miss that last piece whatever Jesus was talking about, and he fixated on the idea that Jesus, who he had just confessed as Messiah and the son of the living God, and who Jesus said indeed he was, and now Jesus is talking about dying, being, uh, you know, suffering, being humiliated, and then Peter does something that if we actually look at it and think about it, almost seems incredible for who would do it. But he is so caught by what Jesus says that he feels compelled to actually set Jesus straight. And what he does, it says, it says that he took him aside. Look at verse 22. He took him aside and he began to rebuke him. So he, the, the idea is, come here. I would like to talk to you for a moment. <laughs> now, what you just said, that's not going to happen. And we're not going to let it happen. In fact, he says to him, he says, far be it from you, Lord. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. Now, Barclay, one of the commentators, says that based on the, the words that was used there, that it almost implies that Peter grabs Jesus and says, Lord, this, we will, this will not happen to you. 
We're not going to let it happen to you. And he, it's, it's like he's, he's rebuking Jesus' own statement. And Jesus, in a moment that must have been absolutely stunning for everybody in that group to hear, the least of which is Peter. Remember, he's, right now he's rebuking him, saying, no, Lord, we're not going to let that happen. He turns to Peter, and I imagine that moment. He turns to him, and, he, and again, in our mind's eye, let's see it. He says something so intense. Get behind me, Satan. You, you are an offense to me. You desire not the things of God. No, you are thinking only of the things of man. Back off from me. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, if anyone wants to come, listen to me. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, the one that Peter's trying to get me to move away from, and follow me. I tell you this truth, that whoever desires to save their life will lose it, but if you desire to lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Stay away from me on that. Now, Peter is devastated. For six days, we know, nothing seems to have happened. Nothing is recorded. And there must have been a kind of, kind of a little bit of a, maybe a minor darkness that has settled in a little bit. People are processing. I imagine Peter's trying to process it. How did he go from the height to that? What does he mean, get behind me? What do you mean, I'm an offense to him? kind of word is that just trying to protect him right all that's going on but after six days what we realize is that jesus had a plan and he takes the three of them as we go back to the matthew 17 again he takes the three of them peter james and john the inner circle and he leads them to the mountain and then something happens that is stunning and it is connected to the whole exchange we're told that that it says in, in this, what we read earlier, he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. Um, look at Luke's account. I asked them if they could put this up. Remember, Luke also has an account, as does Mark. It says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed. Look at that. And his clothes became dazzling white. In the Greek, the word is actually the word that we use. It, 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 it's the word we use for metamorphosized. That is, his form in some level changed. His face, we're told in this remarkable revelation, that his face shone like the sun, like with dazzling brilliance, that his clothes were essentially luminescent, light bursting through them, you know, through the fabrics and the seams. Try to imagine it. It's almost like, it's almost something we would see now in science fiction. I mean, it's so incredible to even think about it. Imagine the light, imagine the luminescence bursting through the seams of the clothing. Mark describes it this way. Check this out. He says that when they went up there, that they went to the high mountain apart by themselves, that he transfigured before he changed in front of their eyes, that all of a sudden his clothes became shining exceedingly white, like snow. That's the only thing they can describe it as. Such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. That's how intense the, the light was. It's always fascinated me that people... Sometimes when they leave this life, there's, and people who are right on the edge, of there, a lot of times you'll hear things about the light of light. So light Jesus talked about being the light of the world. But in this unique moment, there's the light. Now notice, it occurred before them. That means they watched at these three. He had left the others behind, but he took his inner circle with him. Earlier, it asked, by the way, in the conversation that he had earlier with Peter, before he said, who do you say that I am? You know what he had actually started that conversation out with? He said, 
who are people saying that I am? And they said, well, you know, there's a lot of people saying a lot of stuff about you, Jesus, just like today. Some people actually think that you're some kind of resurrected form of John the Baptist because of the way you confront authority and kings and, 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 and things that are unjust and, and hypocritical, the way in which you are unafraid, your intensity. They say, they think, they wonder if somehow John the Baptist has returned and you are his expression. Others say, no, they, people are saying you're like the prophet Elijah because Elijah did all these miracles and healings and they see what you do. So they think you're Elijah. Others said, no, no. Um, they think you are like the prophet Jeremiah who was known as the weeping prophet because you're very emotional and you're touched by people's hurt and you weep. Others are saying they don't know what kind of a prophet you are except that you come from God. Others think, well, he's certainly a teacher from God, but no one is for sure. And that's when Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And by the way, it's a question he'll ask every one of us. All kinds of people saying stuff about Jesus, but who do you say that I am? See, that, that takes it very personal, doesn't it? We all get to decide. Peter then says, I know who you are. You're the Christ. You're the promised one. You're the very son of the living God. And that's what sets the whole thing in motion. Now, it's almost like Jesus is saying to them in this moment, you all, you've heard all the opinions, and Peter, you've made the confession. But now, now I want you to come with me for a moment and understand the full meaning of your declaration. Because, again, when Peter made his confession, I don't think he even totally understood what he was saying. It was almost like when we say something and it's really profound, but we didn't even comprehend what we actually said. It just, it just kind of came out. And I think Peter said something, but I don't think he really understood what it meant. That's clear. And it's almost like Jesus saying, I want the three of you to come with me because I want to show you something. You've heard all the opinions. You've made your confession. And I know we've had a rough exchange here. But I want to show you the opinion of my Father above. You come with me. And there he prayed. And when he was praying, we're told again that this, this, this un amazing thing happens. And in a way, it was kind of like Jesus was showing them, look, I can move at will into places, into dimensions of life. That's not the issue. Um, I can move, listen, even to places where death cannot touch. And yet, this is the beauty. When Jesus is done, after demonstrating that he can move into dimensions of life in ways that they could have only barely conceived, he then says, as we will see next week, he decides to do the very thing that offended Peter and go down from the Mount of Glory and head into the cross. The very thing that he didn't want is exactly what he did. Why did he do it? Why was he willing to do it? Because he wanted to pay a debt that we could never pay. That's what we always talk about. Jesus paid the debt of love that I could never pay. Right? He, 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 he did this so that we could receive a gift that we could never earn. We could never buy it. It's a gift of life. And so the commitment of his love was such that he would leave the mountain of glory and be willing to hang shamefully on a tree. That's... That's the essence of this. But I want us to wrestle with it a little bit differently. I want to put some things up. 
I want to talk about transformation in our own lives with God. And I want us to think a little bit. So let me put a couple of things up here. Number one, I'll just start with this. In the Christian life, by the way, this is true of life in general. It's full of ups and downs, struggles, breakthroughs. Um, when you follow Jesus, like a lot of, a lot of the, what we just saw, people making a confession to follow the Lord. And the idea of baptism is you go down in the water. It becomes kind of symbolic of dying to what we were and living to something new. We will follow him into his death and live into his resurrection. There is something about walking with the Lord. When we do it, what will happen is you will find that there will be moments of amazing breakthrough that will occur. Anyone who is sincere about following God will find that there will be moments that happen in life that are so astonishing, so incredible, so amazing that they touch us at a very, very deep level. Almost like we receive a kind of breakthrough in our lives that is very difficult to describe. I've talked to people who've shared how all of a sudden something that they never saw, all of a sudden they start seeing something completely different. They've been reading the Bible for a long time, but all of a sudden it just opens up and it becomes like what Jesus said, a treasure chest, things new and old being pulled out. All of a sudden it opens up. Some people who all of a sudden they say, you know what, I never knew I could have a relationship with God. I never knew what that was even like. There are times when we're walking and we might hear something being said and in the, in the Lord's house or just we've been reading it and it just our heart is awakened. There are these moments when we follow the Lord where there will be amazing breakthroughs. There'll be times when we're just kind of moving forward with God and we're going to experience something of deep satisfaction. It's, like, it's almost like that. Remember that one moment? Um, some of you might remember. You know, Jesus has this conversation with a woman at, by a well and she's got a kind of messed up life. She's been trying to find her answers in relationships. In her case specifically, she's been trying to find it in men. Jesus says what you're looking for in that case, where you're trying to fill that emptiness inside of you, it can't be filled that way. I have some water for you. And she gets in this conversation with Jesus. Jesus says, if you drink the water that I have for you, you're never going to thirst again. She says, oh, sir, would you give me that water? And then it's like Jesus was saying, I've got something that will change your life. And answer your deepest need. Remember the moment where there are times where the Lord, and, and I've talked to people, and it's happened in different ways, and where I've talked to people, and they've said, "You know what? God healed me." A lot of times, a lot of times, what happens, just like what we talked about last week, the woman who was, had the, the blood disease who reached out for Jesus, or the Jairus who wanted his daughter healed. There's times where the Lord will heal us at such a. De- I understand that's physical healing. I suppose those things happen, but we're all going to leave this world. These bodies will not last forever. But I am talking about also emotional and spiritual healing. And a lot of people, a lot of us know what it's like to experience the touch of Jesus at a deeply emotional level. There are some wounds that go so deep into our lives that have penetrated so deeply into us that they are so woven in the fabric of who we are that no human physician can truly cure them. It's like Jesus is the master physician, as they called him, the great physician, who can go into places that no human being can go. And there are some things that he profoundly heals. That's the only way I can describe it. Sometimes we have wounds that go all the way back to our earliest days. I can say it because now I've heard enough stories over the course of these decades and also witnessed my own life. We all have things, we all have wounds, we all have hurts, we all have pains, we all have injuries, some of which we inflicted upon ourselves, others of which, honestly, they happened because of choices other people made. 
the love we didn't get, the love we should have had, the commitment that wasn't made, I don't know. The Lord knows. He knows our wounds. He knows the things that are deep within. And you know what I'm say- why I'm saying it? Because he's the healer. And there are moments where God can heal things. In it. And it, I've noticed this. Sometimes the healing is utterly amazing. It's miraculous. All of a sudden, a wound that's been in there for years, I've, I've heard people tell me, it's just like God healed it. And then there are other times where that healing comes, listen, a little bit at a time as the years go by. And all of a sudden what was an infection is now just like a scar and it's healed up. It's still there, but it reminds us of God's grace and goodness and it doesn't own us. We have been, as we've been talking about, singing about set free, free to be what he's calling us to be, to become what he's inviting us to become. Now, those moments, as incredible as they are, and there will be moments like that where we will hear the Lord say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Or we hear the words of the Lord say, you know what, just like Peter, you have said, oh God, there are moments of affirmation. There are moments where, and I'll just say this in my last one, where some of us will feel at a unique moment in time the love of God so profoundly near to us that it will be like in the parable of the prodigal son when the father runs out and just love, just envelops himself around his lost son. And I've said that some of us will feel for the first time the safe embrace of Father's love in Christ. And we will hear him say, you are my beloved son and you are my beloved daughter. It's beautiful. Those moments when they happen, astonishing moments, life-changing But it's also true, and I alluded to this, that in the same way that Peter had an up moment, we also have down moments too. And anybody who says that it's not true is selling a false bill of goods. Because in life, Jesus said there will be tough times, there will be difficult times, there will be challenging times. In fact, I'm convinced that sometimes it's in these difficult places that God does the most amazing work in our hearts. It's when we're forced to struggle and wrestle with things, when when we're being exposed at some level, reminded of our weakness, reminded of our need, um, times when the Lord may even rebuke our, just like he did, rebuke our pride, our stubbornness, or our willfulness, maybe even telling, trying to tell him what he's supposed to do. There are times where God will actually break down our will. And sometimes he'll even give us the gift of tears. The, the pain and sweetness of brokenness. It's the only way I know how to describe it. Times when things are ripped away at such a deep level that we are just raw and exposed before God in our wound. And in those places, we will find that God's grace will meet us. There are times where, you know, Things get hard and we feel discouraged. I talk, you know, look, that's life. We will be, there are times we'll be discouraged. In fact, some discouragement, some of us might be going through that right now. Some of us may even have come in here depressed. You know, I was reading a, a book by a pastor who was talking about going through a bout of depression. He was sharing a story about a man named Thomas Carlyle, who actually ends up writing a great piece of literature on the history of um, Oh, it was, it, was, it was essentially a history of the French Revolution, Thomas Carlyle wrote. He was a great writer. Carlyle was in the 19th century. Um, he was a satirist. But it, I just want to share this with you because we're talking about depression a little bit. Check this out. Thomas Carlyle wrote the history of the French Revolution by hand before computers or even typewriters existed. Okay? After three years of writing 
in a lengthy research, he had a 1,500-page manuscript. 1,500 pages. He takes this manuscript to his friend. He gives his finished work to John Stuart Mills to edit and proofread. Mills takes the manuscript and puts it in a basket so he could work on it in the evenings by the firelight. <laughs> While he was on a trip, Mills's maid saw the stack of paper and thought it was there to help start the fire. The entire manuscript was destroyed by the time John Stuart Mills returned. Now, he has to go tell his friend. So when Thomas Carlyle found out about this, he went into a deep depression. In fact, he drew, his, he drew the blinds on his house, and he refused to even eat. So intense was his darkness. He went into the cave and after a couple of weeks, he opened up one of the blinds, just a little bit. And across the street, he saw a man. The guy was working on a brick wall that had broken down in front of an old church. And for three weeks, eight hours a day, that man would do this. And Carlisle watched the man slowly, each day, kind of rebuilding the wall, one brick at a time. And when the wall was rebuilt, it looked as good as new. And then Carlisle says he came to a moment where he says, if he can rebuild that wall brick by brick, I can rebuild my manuscript page by page. And he began to write. And in two years, he finished it. And, and he, he, today, Carlyle's The History of the French Revolution is a classic of historical literature. But the, as I was reading that story of depression, you know, I found myself thinking, there's, it's filled with metaphors. That when we're really discouraged, you know what the tendency is to drop back into? We drop back into a very closed-off world. We pull the blinds, we close the drapes, we, darkness envelops us, we, we are there. And there are a lot of times where we're just stuck there. We lose, we lose all of our passion, we're just stuck. And then every now and then, some of us might find ourselves, we start to just open up just a little bit, take a chance. And then you can see the process, because sometimes what happens, and all of a sudden we see something, and it inspires us to step out and to be open to the possibility of new beginning. That's transformation. And God will walk with us through those places. But if you've ever been in a cave like that, you know what I'm talking about. It's not easy to get out of it. It's easy to get into it. But, but that, and that leads me to this second piece, which is this. And I'm just going to put it up real fast. There's a lot of times how we view life determines how, what we see is most important. Do you see what's going on here? Think of, okay... I'm going back to the conversation that Jesus has with Peter. Remember what he says to him. Peter says, no, Lord, you're not going to die. We're not going to let you die. I forbid you to do that. Jesus says, shockingly, get behind me. The one who is speaking through you right now is not. Look, that is a, the evil one. You get away from me. You're an offense to me. And then he makes this statement. He says, you Base your judgment and view only on the basis of a human perspective. But you are not seeing things from God's perspective. The older version says you savor things only at a man's level. But you do not see what God is doing. And it's such, by the way, this is a fork in the road moment. There are times where Jesus, <laughs> the way of Jesus, will bring us to a fork in the road between what Jesus says is important. Listen. And what our culture says is important. And the two do not necessarily go in the same direction. Our culture is always preaching to us. In fact, 
and it primarily preaches to us through entertainment, social commentary. It's all around us. I don't think we really understand how much we are bombarded. We are being preached to all the time. I don't say it with malice in my heart, just being honest. I'm part of culture. This is my world too. We're constantly being bombarded by messages. And by the way, this generation, more than any other generation ever, we live in constant connection. We always, we get information all the time. We walk with it everywhere. We, it's constantly coming at us. And you know what, what is constantly, mostly coming at us? Is a human perspective. Live life this way on a horizontal, really, on a horizontal plane. Live by the things of man, things of this world. Our culture tells us this is what we, so then I hear people say, well, so what does that mean? Well, we're being told, this is what success looks like. This is what it means to achieve. This is, why, this is what you're supposed to look like. And if you don't look like this, then you have, we have a problem. This is what we need. And then what happens is we take what we're, being, what we're hearing all the time, which is so challenging right now, and then we start letting that affect how we think about life. Because that's just our world. And there's so many voices coming at us that there's a point where we don't even hear it. It's just constant. It's like certain, like a level of noise, just cause, like voices all the time coming our way. Again, more than ever. And that makes the, the message of Jesus even more significant. Why am I saying this? Because I think it means we have to be even more intentional about minding the things of God and not getting caught up by what we're constantly being told success in real life looks like or what it means to achieve or in our own circles. This is what you're supposed to be. And if you're not like this or your kids aren't like this or you don't look like this, Whatever, that's we're caught, we're, it happens. And God would say to us, I think Jesus would say to us, do not allow yourselves to be dominated by a perspective that only sees life at a human level. Remember, God is looking at things very differently. Peter, right now, you only care about me being Messiah. But I am telling you, that is not what God cares about. In fact, he has something very different in mind in terms of greatness that you want me to achieve. It's a great reminder for you and me. And, sec- and, then, and that leads to this piece, which is this. Three, there will always be voices calling us to pursue things. Number three, they will call us to pull us away, really, from God's purposes. Temptations, voices, <laughs> like, get off track here. How do I know that's true? And why is it so important, by the way, in light of all the things that are constantly being bombarded, bombarded upon us, to consistently have an inflow of God's word in our life, to have quality relationships where, listen, where we are talking with other people who genuinely love Jesus and pursue and are pursuing healthy life with him. Why is that so huge? Why do we talk about it all the time? Because we're always being told stuff about what this, how we're supposed to live. But we need to make sure that we have a constant flow of what Jesus tells us is also important because otherwise it's just going to get so overwhelmed that we're going to go, why am I living a disconnected life? Part of the reason is, is what we take in, we live out. Our diet affects us. We know that physically. What about mentally, spiritually, emotionally? But what is flowing in all the time is going to have an effect on us. That's why it matters. It does matter. And I think there are times where it's actually helpful to just to maybe sometimes take a fast from something. But the temptations will be to get us off course. Now you say, well, listen, if it was true for Jesus, would it not be true for any of us? Some temptations that get us off course are so obvious it's like somebody, I was talking to a young man after service two weeks ago, 
And he said to me with tears in his eyes, because I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to get around my old friends. It's so hard for me. I want to influence them, but I find myself, it was real, it was so authentic, and I felt like, man, first off, I love and respect you for wanting to try to, you care enough about your friends you want to represent. He goes, none of them know the Lord. And they don't want to do stuff. That, and, and I said, I respect that. I go, but at the same time, we've got to be honest about our weaknesses too. Because we're going to get pulled back into stuff. We're not strong enough. Then, we, then that's just going to end. We're not going to help anybody at the end of the day. But some things are so clearly not of God, they're like, they don't even attempt to camouflage it. There's no attempt to deceive. It's like, don't do that. Do this. Come on. Who's doing that? Do this. It's so easy to get stuck in places, go back to our addictions, whatever. But other things are also a little bit dangerous at times because the voices that woo us away sometimes from God's best path are not always the voices of an enemy or someone who wants to undermine our faith. Sometimes the voices that would woo us away from the things that God's wanting us to pursue are good voices because the voice that spoke to Jesus was not the voice of an enemy. Not really. It wasn't, it wasn't. Peter loved Jesus. He was his not only follower, he was his friend, if I can say it. And when Jesus was, do you want to know why Jesus reacted so intensely? Because where that word was coming from. See, he didn't want the cross. He, what kind of, you would be crazy to want a cross. I can't, you know, I'm, I don't even have to be careful here if I say it sarcastically. Of course, I want to be stripped down, hammered up on a piece of wood as a petty criminal, spit on and utterly forsaken. No sane person wants that. To be brutalized by the Romans and despised by your enemies. Who wants that? Jesus didn't want that. So when he hears his friend, his follower, his, the one who's telling him, you can't do that. And it's, Jesus doesn't want to do that, but he knows he has to do it. That, that's why he says, get away from me. What you are speaking right now is not of God. It is not of God. Right now you are an offense to me. Pow powerful. Now I'm, not, I'm just saying is sometimes the voices that we think are the most for us, sometimes we have to also double check them. Boy, I have to be really careful there because I'm not talking about being paranoid. I'm just saying. <laughs> mm, all right. So last thing, I'll leave it here. God calls us to transformation and breakthrough. And... Um, that's going to be a wrestling match sometime. That's going to be like being chiseled away. Okay, I'll leave it here. I'll leave it here. I really will. <laughs> Some of us, it's going to be a trial. We have a breakthrough period, but it's going to take some work. And we're going to get, it's going to, it's going to bust open for us. We stick with Jesus. It's going to, it's going to get break, breakdown leads to the, what? The breakthrough leads to the breakout. We talk about it. But for others of us, there may be some things. They will always be with us. Okay? Paul calls that the thorn in the flesh. He basically came to a point where he recognized that there would always be some, this particular issue, which he never told us what it was, and I'm thankful he didn't. Because now it becomes something we all can connect to. 
There might be some things that we will always have to deal with for a lifetime, but God will give us grace. It's okay. He breaks us to make us, and he does it in his love, and he will not abandon us. In some cases, our weakness is what causes us to love him more. For the one who is forgiven much loves much. And who, the price of a tender heart is often obtained through the pain of life. Let's pray together. Hi, Lord, we thank you for the way you work in your transformation and the purposes you've established in our lives. And I just pray that you continue to do your good work in us. Again, our focus has been being open to the transform, transforming touch of Jesus, especially as we make our way towards Easter. I pray for your blessing over everyone who is here and everyone who hears these words. I pray this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Amen.